Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Who Am I This Time? With me, David Morrissey. Each episode, I'm talking to performers from film, television and theatre about one significant role in their career. It might not always be the role they're most famous for, but in each one, I'll be trying to find out about their preparation, the excitement, and the sense of nostalgia that goes with any key role in an actor's lifetime. So something a bit different this week. There are a number of disciplines and skills an actor needs to create a character. And this week, I thought I'd concentrate on three areas of an actor's creative life that have really helped me down the years. Accents and stunts have long been part of my work, but recently a new role has been added to the crew list, that of intimacy coach. So this week, I'm speaking to a person from each of these three disciplines. Coral Messam is an actor, movement director and wellness instructor with over 24 years of experience in performance and movement practice. Included in her movement work is intimacy direction for both TV and film. Yeah, so I'm Coral, Coral Messam, and um, I work as a movement director and sometimes intimacy coordinator. So movement director, is that, were you a, a dancer originally or...? Yes, so I studied dance at um, Northern School of Contemporary Dance in Leeds many moons ago. Jeez. Um, and then um, I danced quite for a few years, actually, like at least 20 years. So I went from contemporary ballet to commercial to social dance, like African-Caribbean and different, different sort of social dances. And then it became quite multifaceted. And then I went into physical theatre. So I worked with DVA for two years. Um, I danced with Kylie Minogue for two years. So it's really been a real 360. And then I did Lion King. And then it was like, okay. Then I sort of fell into the world of dance captain when I was doing shows. So I did a bit of acting for a while, actually. And my first dance captain role was at The National, which is back in 2009. And it was a play called Death and the King's Horseman. And I was a dancer in it. And I did a bit of acting as well. And then I became dance captain of that show. And then the movement director was sort of a natural progression from that. So it started, it was a very natural progress. I wasn't sure what movement director was. Um, I thought it was choreography. And, um, and then it just became a new adventure. And then I wanted to take it a bit more seriously and just put a bit more focus to my own practice. And then I did a master's at Rose Bruford um, in theatre practice. And... 
I thought, great, this is what I want to do. It's what I focus on. And then it sort of became this thing where I was literally asked to do movements for theatre shows primarily. And then probably 2018, um, that's when I started to move into more TV and film work as a movement director. And as a movement director, I mean, because you said it at first, you thought it was like, you know, to do a dance and stuff. It's very different, isn't it? What would you, how would you describe what a movement director does in a, in a theatrical production, for instance? So the difference between a choreographer and a movement director is that the movement director focuses on the large scale of things. So they, they focus on the atmosphere and the physicality of the actors, the characterization, the whole world, basically. Where choreography is more to do with routines and dance steps and sequences. It's more of a sense of like the musicality of the production. But then sometimes choreography and movement directing can sometimes parallel and go across the board. So as a movement director, sometimes I'm asked to choreograph a scene. Mm-hmm. Or I'm asked to like look at someone's individual physicality or look at the atmosphere of a scene, you know. So it, as a movement director, it has much more facets than a choreographer does. But then sometimes those worlds collide. And when you're in a production working with actors, how will you get them to either loosen up or to concentrate on a different aspect of their body? I'm a massive fan of animal work. I think animal work is fantastic. Because yeah. um, it gives you access to get out of your brain or get out of your mental state and get into your body so you can embody a character. Whether it's someone that's a creature of a creature or someone that's playing, you know, 15th or 16th century, it's just about re-breaking down um, what the character needs, what it wants, how it moves, how it behaves with other people within the world, it, you know, that they're coming from. So it. There are so many ways, but I like, so for example, Small Island, we've got a massive cast in this show mm-hmm. and I do a lovely warm-up when I put it the vibe up. So I really, because obviously I came from a culture where my dad was a bit of a DJ, my brother was a bit of a DJ, so I was always brought up again around music and I thought, well, everyone, when people go out clubbing, they rave or when they just listen to music, you know, in their own social bubble or whatever that is, they just let go. If you put your favourite track on, there's something that happens in the body where you just can't, I just don't care. It's joy or the euphoria of a song that really gets you in a mood. So I do this lovely thing called the vibe up where we end up moving to music without any sense of um, do it this way. It's having the freedom within that musical structure so you can just express yourself and have a bit of fun mm-hmm. and relax. Um, so that's my main job is to make sure that you're warmed up. Your spine particularly is the first thing we want to warm up that you're relaxed and that you're open so we can access, so you get from daily body to performing body. That's really important for me, that thing of just not coming in at the half and I really need to sort of have a transition between my day and my evening. Because also the other thing is if you're going cold, you, you can really you know hurt yourself or whatever. It's just not, you need to be free in a way. Even if you're playing a character who physically isn't free, you sort of need to get there, don't you? Exactly. It's about just preparing yourself mentally as well as physically. And I'm a massive fan of Laban. Um, I love that method because I think it gives a sense of you can create character out of something really simple, out of a very simple dynamic, like how you use space, how you play with time and how you play with weight. But did Laban come from dance or was that always a drama stuff? 
So it's it's a it's drama. So it was yeah. it was done by a, a man named Rudolf Laban, mm-hmm. and he created this system for actors and dancers to notate movement. Um, so he could do like if you moved your right foot forward, you had a note for that. Like you score music. He had a sort of he had a system the same for dance. Like you've got a music score, you've got a dance score, um, and he basically created this system or this technique for actors and dance to access character through the simplest term to use is through time, weight and space. And you had these eight body efforts where you could play with thrust and press mm. and glide and float. So all these really simplistic dynamic efforts you could play with and they can bring it into your character and it affects how you speak, how you move, how you occupy the space, how you relate to other actors and how you relate to your audience. Because the other thing for me is in a long run, I can sometimes, you know, depending where my life is going, I can get distracted about things. I can forget things. I, and having Laban or Units and Actions is another way of working on script that, that I do. I can, it can reset me or get me back to when, when I'm being distracted by life and all those other things. When I get to work, I can reset myself. And they're all great. You don't have to do it every night or whatever, but it's just something to to come back to. It's a foundation, isn't it? Absolutely. It's it's like, okay, that's my launch pad, that's my template. And I can, and it can go left of centre, it can go right of centre, go anywhere, but you've got that as a sort of support system. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's just that you know how I always think it's like how athlete uh, athletes train. You've got you know what I mean? It should actors have to train or I think it's gotta be like, you know, that you're an athlete. Yeah. You've got to train. Hundred percent, yeah. And you, your practice is your training. So you've got to practice like an athlete. If you're an actor, you've got to practice like practice it until you just, you know, mm-hmm. it's right in there. You're going for absolute platinum. I mean, the other thing for me is I think it's always, it's a really, it's a fallacy, isn't it, that actors are all extrovert because they're not. And there's just something about the rehearsal room and encouraging people to open up. And this will we'll go on to this with the intimacy stuff that you're doing as yeah, well. Yeah. But there's just something about encouraging people to be safe in in, in that exploration, isn't there? I mean, Absolutely. that's what's great about the rehearsal room in a theatre. Sometimes we don't get that on television and film. But let's just talk about the rehearsal space at the moment. How yeah. do you, what exercises would you have with an actor who maybe is a little shy or is a little bit sort of, you know, I mean, I, when I was a young man, I was very sort of, you know, I didn't want to move that much. I just, you know, I felt it was sort of unmanly or whatever. And then I loved it once I started to be able to sort of stretch and exactly. really enjoy my body in a way. So I think part of the job as a movement director is, and I sort of do it like, it's like, you know, it's um, subconscious now because mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been so long. But part of my job is to assess the room. So you have, for me as a movement director, I'm always aware of energy that enters space, even before the rehearsal started, even before we've had that meet and greet. I'm assessing bodies in the space, how you come in, how we say hello, the conversations, watching people when we're talking about um, health and safety, the read-through, just watching and scanning and observing. So as a movement director, I'm watching, although they're not moving and we sat down in a, at a table read, I'm watching people's physicality, how they read. Yeah. And that's just something I just do, like, oh, that's interesting. I, and I watch it. So that's part of my job is to watch people mm-hmm. and to be observant. And setting up a safe space really allows, I think movement director's got to be yourself. Mm-hmm. But be super chill and be like, just 
have fun and be playful and come back to that kid that used to play, you know, I don't know, just games that you just didn't think, oh, I didn't have to think or didn't have to be um, inhibited in any way. Drama school, as a younger man, I find that really difficult. Uh, but it's really important. Mm-hmm. You're not saying at the beginning of the process, this is what it's going to be like. Let's that's just it. go there for a bit and see what we come back with. I exactly. think that's really important, isn't it? Absolutely. So it's it's really about taking baby steps. It's about just, okay, maybe you want to walk around the room. And I think it's about the language as movement dogs, what language you use. If I say, well, I'm going to dance today. And if someone doesn't want to do that on a wall, we say, I'm just going to walk around the room and just find a rhythm mm-hmm. and start really slowly and start really simply and then gear up to gear two. And that trust and stuff and having faith and, and creating safe spaces. I mean, I guess that's why coming from the, the area you come from, movement and dance, you've you've been able to move into the intimacy coach, which is a relatively new position in our in our industry, but it's all about trust. It's interesting because I was doing intimacy without it being intimacy. And I was like, oh, yep. stop doing that. Hold on. <laughs> you know, so it was like, oh, okay. And then again, it was a bit like the movement. It sort of was a natural progression. But then I wanted to learn more about that because I was doing it as a movement director. And I'm still learning as I go along. Um, but I think my... As an intimacy coordinator, again, it's about setting up a safe space for performers, actors to be vulnerable in a very safe way. And it's setting up an agreement between actors and performers. Mm-hmm. So it's an equal agreement and there's a continuation of that agreement carrying through. So if it's the theatre and press night and I'm out of the room, nothing gets changed without my consent. Everything is all agreed. So it's like a kind of, it's, it's like a contract between actors and between myself, the director and the actors. Mm-hmm. I think that's so, very important that it can change, you know, yeah. something you agree with, particularly in film and television, something that you say you're fine with in the morning, you might not be fine with in the afternoon. And exactly. It's, and it's fine to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not cool with this anymore. Absolutely. And it's about empowering. It's allowing the, the actors to feel empowered. And it's okay to say, no, I'm not comfortable with this. And I think it's always so important to just make sure you have someone close to you, like the intimacy coordinator, who's got your trust, got, you know, and you can say to them, you know, I've changed my mind. And the yeah. scene that you and I first did, we did a few scenes, but it was, you know, it was a massive orgy scene. Oh, it was massive. <laughs> it was, you know, there was loads of people. And... Thankfully, those, the people who were in the orgy scene, I knew they'd been around for a long time. We all got on. But what I thought was wonderful was was how you checked in with everybody individually. I saw you through the couple of days that we were doing it, constantly going up with people and just checking in with them. And it meant that the scene actually was really hot. It was really out there. It was outrageous. It was sort of, you know, everything that the director wanted for this was in Britannia, you know, it was a bawdy old uh, uh, scene. So there's not, there was nothing in there that became sort of, uh, you know, shy or sort of uh, a little bit delicate. Every, we all went for it, but we all knew via you that we were safe because it's a new role. I think it's important to talk about this for all actors, people, even actors like me have been doing for a long time. It's very new, this role, that uh, the intimacy coach. I mean, what do you feel the actor should be bringing to the set or what? how do you feel that they should be approaching something like this, uh, a scene that, that, that has intimacy in it with, with, with an intimacy coach? I think it's allowing themselves to feel, to have a sense that 
you can feel empowered by this. It's nothing to do with disempowering. A hundred percent. I would say that a hundred percent. It was like really, you know, yeah. So that to me is like come with an openness to anything like you would have stumped. You know, you're not going to just all of a sudden start doing sword fight with the sword if you've never done a parry or anything like that. You would do the technique first, but you talk about, you literally describe all of those beats. It's exactly the same with intimacy. It's exactly the same how stunt workers work. Intimacy has got to be the same thing. So it's just making sure that the approach is, these are things you want to do in the scene. This is what it's called for. Do we need to make any modifications or are you happy to try it? And if it doesn't get comfortable, then we have to change it around. So it's always having this discussion. It's an ongoing agreement, discussion. Because also also you're working first, just you and the other actor or whoever it is in the director. When you get to the set, there's lots of crew around. You know, the set is different. It's sort of quite, you know, you could be, we were inside a cave sort of area, but, you know, the intimacy can happen anywhere. So you change, things change, circumstances change. So you can suddenly be on set with, you know, 15 to 50 crew. And that's a very different sensibility. So you need to be able to be ready for that as well, don't you? So it's also about making sure that the set is closed. So Mm -hmm. whoever doesn't need to be there, doesn't need to be on set. We don't have everybody's other bodies looking around and going, okay. Also, we sometimes crew members, I've known crew members to literally like, you know, get a, an actor by the hips and move them without permission. Absolutely. It's those simple things that happen and we just take for granted. So it's about allowing, it's about me being very vocal. So listen, we're going to work in a closed set. I just need the people that need to be here on set, whether that's the DOP, the director, myself, maybe the first AD, the camera, um, camera person and just make sure that only people that need to be on set are on set and it's closed mm-hmm. because then it protects and the actors feel we're being heard we're being yep. looked after and we're feeling like we're in a safe environment to just do what we need to do yeah i think that's the most important thing for me is that you someone is listening to you because in the past when i've done intimate scenes without an intimacy coach there's a time when you feel very lonely and you feel that, you know, you're holding up the day or, you know, you're sort of um, just get on with it, grow up or whatever. And it's really, it can be very isolating. And, you know, your, your director suddenly isn't available and, you know, nobody wants to talk to you and you're standing there, you know, and it's really tough. And you usually what you have is only the other actor. And, you know, I've been very lucky in my life that usually the other actor is someone who I can rely on and be vulnerable with and, and sort of voice my fears to. But I think with an intimacy coach, there's someone who you know is listening to. And it's such a brilliant, brilliant uh, new addition to our, our craft, I think. It's having a support system. It's having that voice that you, that tells you, oh, don't say nothing. It's, they're just not going to... Or that little voice that kind of niggles at you, mm. that you can start to amplify that and go, actually, I hear you, speak it out. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you don't end up feeling like, oh, I'm just being a twat or I'm just asking for too much. Literally, again, it comes back to that word, empowering the actor. Yeah. Or, you know, or, or a prude or, or also that thing of yeah. unprofessional. Yeah. You, can, you can get leveled, that unprofessional thing can come at you. And you're like, well, this isn't this isn't what I signed up for. Hang on a minute. You know, it's this isn't it. It's yeah. like, you know, you wouldn't put me on a horse if I couldn't ride. You wouldn't sort of give me a sharp knife to sort of run at somebody. You know, there's just, we've got to look at this in a different way. And it's respecting the actor. 
mm-hmm. respecting the process, respecting it's respecting the work. I think it gives the work a sense of respect, you know. Be- also, because it is a new role. There's not a lot of people out there doing it, isn't there? I mean, I'm sure there will be in the years to come. I mean, how is is movement and dance? Is that the way that most intimacy coaches are coming into the to, into the profession? Not necessarily, actually. I mean, there are some intimacy coordinators that haven't had any movement or dance experience. Um, they've come from, um, you know, people that have had done causing counselling or have become counsellors or have done counselling. Um, to do with intimacy. So I'm trying to remember the lady's name. Um, that she's really trained in America. I can't remember her name. I'm so sorry. But she um, came from a, she counseled people on intimacy and gave advice on how to be intimate. And then she moved into the world of, um, of intimacy coordination. So not necessarily so. I think everyone's doing is different. Mine's very different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're multifaceted. Um, that well, really so- makes sense to me, though, because it is yeah. it's about movement. It's about sort of character. Uh, so, you know, and it's about being free and all those things. So the, the, it does make sense to me that you come from that world into the, into this new role because it's sort of just fits hands in glove with me. I think. Yeah, I think I th- absolutely. And, you know, I think this in it, again, it's it's a role that I'm still getting to know. And I've been very lucky with it, like even with just now on Small Island, we were just looking at um, there's a moment in one of the scenes where two characters touch. They don't kiss, but they touch. And me just going, okay, what is this dance between hands? That is still intimacy. We've got kisses that happen. We have to, like, in theatre, like, some of the actors look at me like, what, we've got to, yeah, we have to save God. Because it's not just about... It's not just about women, it's about men too. We are safeguarding you too. It's not Oh no, a hundred percent. I mean, I think that's the other fallacy about it. Yeah, is it you yeah. know, it's sort of presented as something, you know, because obviously there's been abuse and all that. Yeah. But actually, as an as a as an, a male actor, I found it so liberate and just so thankful for it, because a conversation was being had uh between everybody and it, everybody could hear it. And it was just wonderful and freeing as well. I mean, because sometimes what, why it makes sense for me about the mo- coming from movement and dance and stuff is because it's, a, it's a, about an energy. And sometimes you can have really potent sexual energy without touching anybody. You know, it, it's just, you know, you don't really have to touch sometimes to have that energy. But that energy is, it's a thought, it's body, it's all that stuff. Yeah. And that's why it ma- that's what makes me really draw the line between you know what you what you do and, and and the new role of intimacy coach because that's the thing it's actually you're absolutely i'm so glad you brought that up because i think there's something about it becoming um it's it's, it's it becomes consensual where you can go right this is what we're doing this is point a point b point c point d point and you've got that map to protect both parties or all parties it's a map that you go this is our map and if you come out of that map the rule is don't come out of that map until you've consulted intimacy coordinator. And the co- co- intimacy coordinator has to be present. No matter how you think, well, I think we've got this. I think you just let it happen. No. no. Yeah. They have to be there. Because one of the other people I interviewed on the on the pod this for this particular episode was a stunt person. And of course, a stunt person has to be there if it's if it's a full car crash or you're just 
you know, poking someone in the face or, you know, yeah. a slap across the face. They have to be there for it all because, you know, that's, they have to be safe. They have to be doing the safety. And a lot of the real people getting injured is the smallest stuff. And it's the same on this, you know, you have to be in the room. You have to be part of the conversation right from the back because decisions can be made weeks before filming, which really sort of impact on the filming day. And you can't, you can't get it back then. So you've got to be in the conversation from right from the, right from the off. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's, yeah, I could not agree more. And again, like you said, things change, days change. You may not do that scene. You might, oh, we practice that scene. You're like, oh, actually, there's been a change schedule. We're not doing it until another two weeks' time. Yeah, yeah. You come with a different energy. We don't know what, so you might be, like you said, you might be all right Monday, but when you come in on Friday, yeah, the ball game. And it's also allowing yourself to, when you've done the scene, the end of the scene, is then the checking would happen again as an intimacy coordinator. It's allowing the act to take off the coat. It is mm. a performance. Put it away. Life. So you can separate the two. Yeah. So it's really allowing yourself to just kind of really like allowing it all to be on the table. This thing of like, well, let's just see what happens. No, that's not safe. No, I mean, that's happened to me many a time where you'll have a scheduled uh, scene in three, four days, which is an intimate scene. And suddenly the director and the producer said, oh, we're not doing that. We're doing it this afternoon. Because they want to sort of play with your head a bit. They want, you know, that's happened to, as a young actor, that happened to me all the time. And it was very deliberate because it was to sort of, not to give you any time to think about it. And it was really, it was, you know, it was a tactic to sort of get you sort of, you know, to, to stop you being sort of saying or objecting to anything or thinking about it too much. And you can't do that with anything thank God. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's still some of that teaching within actors, whether they'll just do it or so. Because we want to please. The other thing about actors is yeah. we want, we want we to want please. To we're worried you're going to sack us. We're worried that, you know, you won't employ us again. You know, we're full of those insecurities. So, yeah. and people yeah. can prey on them all the time. So it's really important yeah. to have that third party who exactly. can protect you from all that. Exactly. I absolutely agree with you there. I think there is that as an actor. Because you want to do the scene. You, you, like you act because you want to perform, right? You want to mm. present something and bring something to the table. And you don't want to say no. Mm. Um but you shouldn't feel obligated or um, no, bullied. You know, you can be or bullied. bullied. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, to say those things, it's just for like a safe space for you to just be really free because at the end of the day, you want to get the best performance out of the out of the scene and out of your actors. And the only way to do that is literally giving them a voice yeah. where before that voice wasn't really heard or that was annoying or that was only oh, just being silly or whatever mm-hmm. that, 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 that stuff. That, yeah, yeah. Joe is like, that doesn't, no. no. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. Well, I have to say, it was the first time I'd done it, uh, had an intimacy coordinator, was on Britannia, and it was just so wonderful. And I just thought, God, I wish I'd had this when I was a younger actor. It was, it was just, it was just great. And I think it's such, for many, many reasons, it's such an important addition to what we're doing. Thanks for joining us today. I mean, really, honestly, I can't thank you enough for what we, we when we worked together. It was brilliant. Absolutely, pleasure. Cheers.
Jamie Mathewman is an actor, but also works as a voice, dialect and acting coach in film, TV, theatre, education and the corporate world. So, hi, I, I, my name is Jamie Mathewman and um, yes, I do various things and one of the things that I do on a film set is dialect coaching. So I'm also a voice coach and a performer and um, I do, yeah, wear various hats, but in the last few years, um, the majority of my work has been as a dialect coach uh, on film and in theatre and uh, sometimes in drama schools as well. Yeah, I mean, one of the, how we met was... Uh, doing an accent, wasn't it? You helped me with an yeah. accent on a job, which was really great. And why I wanted to talk to you on the podcast is just, I think when people are thinking of coming into the profession or if people don't know about the profession, that's uh, part of an actor's job that is couched in mystery sometimes. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, quite deliberately. But I mean, I just wanted to open it up a little bit. I mean, yeah. were you, because I know you are an actor as well, but it's, is it uh, accents something that came easily to you all your life, is it? Yeah, I think when I, when I look back, you know, people like any job, people say, how did you get into this? And um, when I look back, I think I've always been very curious about the way that people communicate, you know, like, like lots of actors are and writers and artists of all kinds, you know, how do people use their body how do they use their mouth you know what kind of little tunes and rhythms do they have um what kind of words and expressions do they use and yeah part of that i suppose uh, was was accents a lot and i never i never necessarily thought oh that's you know it's a real strength of mine or anything like that i just kind of thought it's 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 interesting but sometimes people would get me to do lots of different accents at parties and things like that and um and i where i grew up there were i grew up in a, a mining town in south yorkshire and there were lots of different accents there because of the pit lots of people came from all over the country so uh we had a lot of scottish people and we had geordie neighbors and quite a few irish people around us and a few people from london and, and did you just did you just take people off as a kid yeah absolutely and my sister did as well and we i think we just did it without even thinking you know we would just if we were sort of retelling a story about something that somebody had said or something like that then we would just end up going into the voices i suppose and um and uh, yeah, one of the things that I'm really fascinated by and I, I really love doing, I suppose, like, you know, again, lots of creative people is that, is that you observe, just observing people, you know, just going to a new town, especially a place that I've never been to before and walking around the streets and just seeing how people walk and what they do with their spine and their arms and, you know, how, how they hold their face and, um, the kind of character of that place. Do you feel that there's modern societies are doing that, that there is a, there's still a tradition of telling stories, the same sort of connection to words and language? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, they still there, you know, people still uh, tell stories about funny things that have happened to them and uh, people share experiences about their lives. But I think in the, in the way that people used to have, uh, repeat stories often or you know yeah. with my grandparents and my my uncles and things like that my mum's got five brothers and my dad's got lots of brothers and sisters and we you know we'd often say oh tell us about the time that you know mm -hmm. tell us that one about uh oh can you tell us that so, and and then you know really loving the details and relishing the details and of course within that 
there's um, suspense, you know, and how to tell a story and yeah, rhythm yeah, yeah. and tune and all that stuff about uh, how to deliver a punchline. Yeah, painting pictures as well with words, which I think is, um, you know, um, so, such a skill really and, and something that's been a part of our culture for tens of thousands of years, um, mm. whereas now, you know, people often talk about we're more likely to show a photo uh, something that we've taken on our phone or that we've captured off the internet rather than describing something that we've seen um, and, and all the kind of vocal skill that that involves. And, the, and a disconnect really from communication in terms of, I mean, again, me being very nosy, um, I remember a few years ago queuing up in a cafe and somebody was uh, texting next to me and um, I could see on their screen that they were just writing, putting millions and millions of laughing faces and writing LOL, 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 uh, but completely had a very totally right. deadpan face. You know, so, so that thing of uh, saying one thing, but it's not expressed through the body at all or the face, mm-hmm. um, I think it is... Um, it's huge. I think it's absolutely huge. And I, I don't really want to kind of get on to a, you know, oh, technology's bad and in my day everything was better. But yeah. I do think that th- that um, the way that we use our faces, the way that we use our voices, the way that we express ourselves in our body, it seems to be dwindling a bit, you know. Yeah, I, I, I would hope that if you were coming into this profession, if you were coming into acting, that you would mm-hmm. realise that you need to fall in love with language, you need to fall in love with how one expresses oneself uh, physically Mm. as well as verbally. But in terms of accent, what I'm really interested in is if you don't have a good ear, because personally I have a good ear for certain accents and not a very good ear for other ones. Mm. And there is a sense that even with the accents I don't have a good ear for, that don't come naturally, even though part of my work will be listening and listening and listening. Mm-hmm. There's another way into it, isn't there? There's a there's there's we do exercises, but we also do phonetics, don't we? Absolutely, yeah. So um, most dialect coaches will study phonetics, which is looking at all the constituent parts of a language. So looking at all the kind of building blocks, all the different vowel sounds, all the different consonant sounds. And then you have an internal structure of of thinking when you're thinking about an accent. You're thinking about lots of things when you're listening to an accent, but you're you're also, uh, you can ask yourself questions. What happens to the O sound in this accent? What happens to the I sound in this accent? A lot of actors have forgotten their phonetics that they did at drama school. And obviously many actors have never been to drama school, so they've never encountered phonetics. So I don't always talk about phonetic symbols with actors. I might sometimes check in and say, can you remember this symbol or not? And some actors can, and some some actors love that. But uh, I'd say the majority don't. Uh, So, but at least I can say, well, this is the ow sound, and this is the sound that's in words like crouch and cow, and you know, and, and, and we can start to play around with sentences and look at how that sound is made, you know, and how is it made in the actor's accent, and then how is it made in the accent that we're studying, and what do we need to change? And a lot of that is um, a lot of what we're really training is awareness, 
proprioception, as, as they call it, you know, the, what is my tongue doing? What's the front of my tongue doing? The middle, the back, which can be difficult to, to feel, you know, and what, what are my lips doing? What's my jaw doing? Uh, some people find it helpful to look at themselves while they're doing that. Some people absolutely hate looking at themselves. Some people find a kind of mixture useful. But, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're training a lot of that stuff to do with vowels and consonants, but also what's the placement of an accent, you know, does it live, does it feel like the voice lives more at the back and the sound waves are trapped at the back a bit more or they inhabit the back of the throat? Do they uh, come up into the nose? Do they come really far forward in the mouth? Does it live in the chest? You know, so mm -hmm. sensations around where am I feeling the vibrations of my voice? So, you know, we might hum into different parts of ourselves and mm -hmm. get used to getting into that placement. And then, you know, things like, rhythm is really important and melody tune is really important so they're, they're often things that are overlooked actually but um, sometimes to find a rhythm we might then uh, do something with our body to find that rhythm and that will really then help us find that in the mouth as well is uh, incredibly helpful and it's often helpful to think about the world that the accent evolved in you know the industry the geography the climate the social world mm -hmm. what, are, what, are, what are the stories that people are telling with their body or how does the way that people use themselves use their body get into their speech so then you know it's not just in the mouth so sometimes we isolate what's going on in the mouth and then we try and integrate things into the body and into a culture and into a social world and Mm -hmm. You know, that's informed by the story as well. What about character? Do you and the uh, actor or the director, do you ever clash on character in any way? Does, does, does it bleed in from just the, the accent into sort of the personality? Yeah, I mean, there's so many um, grey areas, you know, so many crossovers because it's the way that somebody speaks, obviously, and that touches on lots of different things. So for me, that's not my job to talk to influence an actor's uh, character choices, but I will always have a conversation or many, many conversations over the course of a job with directors and with actors. And I may sometimes, if I think something is going to be a really useful way for that actor to connect to the accent, I might say, this could be a useful bridge into your character, that this accent is very direct or something like that, and it feels like your character is. So that's your choice, and I'll always reinforce that. We'll be back with more chat after this. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, you're listening to Who Am I This Time with me, David Morrissey. Now, back to this week's episode. When an actor approaches you for the first time, mm-hmm. what sh- what should they be bringing with them? Do you feel? I mean, uh, you know, an openness, but what else? Uh, that thing of a curiosity, you know, um, it's helpful even when you're working on an accent yourself in your own time that you try not to be too harsh on yourself. And 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 one way of dealing with that because when you get very hard on yourself and berate yourself, it becomes unpleasant. But you can't really hear yourself either and you can't really feel yourself you know so um if you can be curious that's one way of dealing with that kind of really uh, severe self-criticism so being curious being open being playful being prepared to get things wrong you know and to try but if you if you're working with an actor uh before the production starts yeah and you get to a place where you and the actor are happy but then you walk into a rehearsal room and another creator, the writer or the director, say, or the producer, they're not happy. Mm. What happens around that sort of dynamic? Is um, Can that undo all your good work? Or, or you know, where are you with, with when that type of thing happens? Um, I, again, every, every situation is different. But if I am very happy, then I will say, well, as far as I'm concerned, I think they're doing a great job and I think they're doing a great job for them, you know, where they're at. And um, if a director or a producer said, well, I'd like them to try this or something else, then, then you know, I can go to the actor and say, let's, let's see what happens if we try this. Let's be open. And for me, I just think it's so important that everybody has an open dialogue all the time, yes. you know, and that, that everybody is respectful of one another and... I, I like working in a collaborative way. So, mm. you know, so it's an interesting one because sometimes people want to get involved and it's not their job, you know, yeah. so you have to sometimes filter out certain things. But really, you know, knowing who who does have input and who does have certain, who is part of the conversation can be really useful. And I think just always trying to stay open and uh, having honest conversations and thinking what's the best outcome for everybody because you're an actor it must help you to sort of come to actors and understand what they're going through understand their process yeah yeah absolutely and um you know that that actors can be under a lot of pressure sometimes you know and can and often have a huge amount to think about you know not just the accent but lots and lots of they might have a day where or several days or weeks where they've got loads of choreography combat uh, might be in costume and makeup for hours they might have to sing and they're not used to it or speak a different language or you know play an instrument or you know all that stuff that they deal with very very well but um, you know like all of us they're human beings so we it's nice if you can support them and, and help them in that. The Absolutely. difficulty for a lot of actors, and I've had this myself, is that you will be doing an accent, but filming it in a completely different place. So, you know, you might be doing yes. an American accent in London, or you might be doing yeah. a Geordie accent in Wales or something. That is really tough, isn't it? Yeah, that's really hard. Yeah. 
And there's a sense for me then that I have to really sort of isolate myself for a while because I can't mm-hmm. get that other accent that everybody is the crew or, mm-hmm. you know, people in coffee yeah. shops. I, I really have to lock myself away, particularly for the first couple of weeks or months of the job. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, just, just making contact with the accent as much as you can, uh, can help as well when you're away from people, when you're doing your, you know, warm up in the morning, if you do a vocal warm up in the morning, just, um, start to do a few tongue twisters in the accent, you know, and then look at your lines in the accent. Um, if you're an actor who's just, who's not on a job, but you're upskilling in between jobs that you, uh, do a warm up, And then when you come to articulation, you know, you, if you like tongue twisters or putting vowels and consonants together, like those classic things like tuto, tartate, you know, you, you try them in different accents, but, um, yeah, when you're surrounded by the I mean, they were the things when I came to drama school yeah. and we were doing tongue twisters and we were doing vocal exercises and stuff. This was the, that was the thing where I thought, Oh God. This yeah. is what, you know, this is what everybody's sort of told me about. And <laughs> this is like, I've seen this, this is, the, you know, they'll have me in a pair of tights next sort of stuff. Yeah. But actually, I, when I equated to the athletes uh, scenario that I think, well, if I was a, if I was a marathon runner or if I was a sprinter, then I would do lots of little exercises all the time Absolutely. to get this muscle memory yeah. for getting me in. You know, if I was a tennis player, I would spend hours and hours on my, you know, my backhand or whatever. If I was a golfer, I'd be in the, I'd be practicing in the bunker again and again and again. And this is my job. And this is my thing that I have to do again and again and again. It's muscle memory, isn't it? Yeah. And I think you're, you know, doing little short bursts regular and often is, is very good because it's a, when you're working with accents, it's a very particular way of concentrating. You're focusing on little units of sound that, that come up very quickly. So many, many units of sound uh, in a second. So, you know, you're, you're having to put your focus uh, on something in a very detailed way, which can be very tiring. So I, I, I just think the more fun you can make it for yourself and the more easy you can be on yourself and the more playful it can be and the the more you can take pressure off yourself the quicker you learn it the quicker you you'll embody the accent and what about is there a difference for you between theater and television and film what is really great uh, in theater is if again you have great detailed chats with the director and um they will sometimes say, I'd love you to do a whole morning this week and then half a day next week and half a day. And then you might have a day where you just see people one to one. But if you're doing a whole half a day with a company, then you can really bed the accent into the world of the script, you know, the world of the, the story. So you can really think about the space. You can think about the physicality, the social world and how the accent lives within that, as well as doing all that identifying vowel and consonant shifts and playing with tune rhythm and placement you know you can really bed in that so it feels comfortable for the actor so they start to go this is a a deep part of my world it's not just something that's happening in my mouth you know and that that's that's brilliant and then if you can also do that into the performance space you know if you're given the time to really work that out into the theatre when when the actors come to um, putting the play into the theatre, then that's really, uh, I, I really enjoy that. I think that's a really fantastic way of working, yeah. I think the, on, thing, on. the one thing for me on film and television is schedules change so often. Yes. That 
as the actor, don't, I would strongly say don't just prepare the scenes for that day. Yeah. Think of them as the whole thing and think of the characters the whole because you can bet your bottom dollar that when you get on set and you've prepared those, you've prepared those two scenes for the day, suddenly someone will go, oh, blah, blah, six. So we're going to do next yeah. week's scenes today. And it's always yeah, just being prepared for that sort of, uh, you know, something to come at you from left field, really. But because of the money machine, they have to do something. So they usually drag something from two weeks time or whatever, you know, and, and you yeah. just have to be on your toes for that. Yes. And, and then also sometimes, you know, you, you want to be able to improvise sometimes around the dialogue. Mm. So it's not enough just to prepare the dialogue that you have for the day. You want to hear little runs of things. You know, people, uh, one of the things you are very good at, I think, is the fact that there are certain phrases that certain communities have that they use a lot. Tune is really interesting. And likewise, like anything, you know, you need to know the basics of a tune or, or whatever, unless in case you want to break it, you might not want to go with that tune. Yeah. But you've got to know that that's a choice. Uh, and yeah. then, and I think that's, that's really, I love that. I mean, it is all about curiosity and I Definitely. love the idea of where people come from, where accents were forged, yes. uh, you know, the, 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 the history of, of the community that it comes from. I think yeah. that's really important that for me, not for every actor, some actor can yeah. just get out the car and do it. But for me, I love that. I think it's fascinating as well when you go on a little recce, if you're in an, an area and you go across the county or, mm. you know, from one county to the next, because our accents obviously don't just stop at the border of a town or at the border of a cafe change gradually. And you, you know, you might get off the train in one place and have a listen and maybe have a chat to some people and then, get back on the train, go somewhere else, you know, a little bit further and then a little bit, and you start to see how the yeah. sort of personality of the town changes and, you know. But also in, also in time, I think in time, I mean, it's interesting. I've been watching Get Back on Disney Plus, which is obviously about the Beatles. Yeah. I mean, this is the late 60s, early 70s. They're all from Liverpool, but their accents are so different to Liverpool accent. Now you just, it's mm. such a different accent. Yes, and that that is you know I don't know what's happened in that time, but you know it's very interesting how it's it's sharpened in a way and yeah. and, and and sped up. I mean now it's so fast, so it's you know there's yeah. things like that. I think one has to sort of bring in as well. Um, but also the last thing I wanted to talk to you about is is this thing RP. We get told about yeah. RP a lot. We're often told that it's the neutral accent, and um, there's, there are all kind of issues around that. Really, that it's, some people think we've been told it's the neutral neutral accent because it's been the accent that's been associated with power. Um, so you know that people have said this is our accent, so this is the neutral accent, and everybody else must be must have deviated from that. Um, so I think we've got to be very aware of those issues, and I, I, I think. The, you know, this is things are changing, but the more we can just understand that all accents are equally fascinating and interesting and rich in their own way, and um, that they're all they've evolved over you know long periods of time, even remote accents that are changing very rapidly, that they evolve to serve a purpose. And if that's, to, you know, to be part of a social code or to identify people with one another. So all accents, are, I think, are, they're all equal. I was really under the misconception when I started out that if I could get an RP accent, then I had a blank sort of 
blackboard to go from that I was in a yeah. neutral place both muscular both sort of and actually it wasn't true it just it just meant that I was in this very sort of it meant nothing to me. There was lack of character. There was not, I had to find it somewhere else. And and also sometimes, you know, you look at someone like David Tennant or, or whatever, who have strong personal accents, but they're brilliant at accents when they come to character, Michael Sheen, things like that. So you don't necessarily need this, this sort of um, neutral base in order to do accents, do you? No. And to me, I just think of it as another accent. You know, that if you're, if you're telling, uh, if you're playing a part uh, of a character who would have uh, an RP accent, then it's another accent that, you know, it's, that you have to sort of find. And I think there are many, many types of RP. Um, and again, it's changing all the time. And so I always think it's useful to find a person who's like your character. You know, to find a real life person uh, who, you know, and if I'm working with somebody as a coach, that's what I'll try and do and go, I think this is a good reference person for you because there are people, they've, um, they've, they're, uh, they've got a bit of a North London influence or they have come from Newcastle, they've lived in London for 20 years, they've worked in a certain sector, but there's a, there's a little, there are P, but there are a few little influences in there of, of Newcastle. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, I think it's really, really important that we we don't set RP up as the prestige accent and the at the top of the hierarchy of accents. But also, I don't think uh, RP speakers should be prejudiced against either. Jamie, it's great talking to you. Thank you for doing this. I mean, My pleasure. I, it's lovely to see you and you too, and hopefully see you see you again soon. Yes, that'd be great. All right, David. Thanks. Great. Stephanie Carey has been a professional stuntwoman on the British Stunt Register for over 20 years, working in film and television. She specialises in combat and is one of the few competitive female precision drivers in the UK. Stephanie, thanks for this. It's great to see you and to talk to you. And thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. Not at all. So what I usually do on this podcast is I talk to actors who, uh, you know, about how they prepare their role. And we usually choose one role from a film, a TV or theatre. But it struck me during the first three seasons of the podcast that a lot of actors talk about the, the things they use in order to create character. Things like, you know, movement. Sometimes they use accent and also stunts. And, you know, I know we worked together recently. For you as a stunt coordinator, where does this job start for you? Do you get like the scene itself or do you get the whole script? It's probably both of those really, David. And it depends. And I'm in a sweet spot at the moment where I am still performing. Um, yes, I am still. And uh, I, uh, I'm i also coordinating for the past num- number of years, three years. And it's a lovely position to be in. So depending on what I'm being asked to do, um, obviously, it starts with a phone call. If there was performing, it would start with a phone call to say what the job was. Uh, the coordinated phoning would probably know whether it's within my remit anyway, hence the phone call, because most people over a number of years know who you are. in The, mm-hmm. on the, the, the stunt industry is, is a small industry. Um, so if it is, um, 
about if it's co-ordinated performing, then you'd talk about what the job was, you'd accept it, and then you'd um, yeah. So you wouldn't get the script in that on in that sense. Mm-hmm. Obviously, as a coordinator, um, again, depending on how much you are um, going into a show, you might get the script to read through and break down and see when stunts would be appropriate. Um, talk through bits where you're not sure could it be the actor, could it would it be stunts? Um, so it's 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 really varied in that way. And would that be a conversation with the producer or the director? It kind of starts with the producer a lot of the time. And I think it's different with different people because different coordinators have different contacts, um, you know, people that you have worked with before. So it, quite often the producer and then it would go down, not go down, go across to the, mm-hmm. the director to, to speak further. And when you talk to the director, say, so you've got the job and say it's like a fight scene mm. and you're with the director, does he... Do you talk to him about the style of it or what you can bring to it? Or is he or she talking to you and saying, this is the story of the scene. This is the story of the fight. This is, are you, uh, is it a collaborative process or are you just doing what they're, they're asking you? Well, yeah, the way I do it, I start by listening what the director would like. And then from those conversations, you would have an input about how it, could be it just leads on to different avenues of conversation but i always start from what the director would like mm-hmm. um and that involves lots of things as in you know is it the actors the artists that, that we are using or is it just doubles or is it a combination of both um so yeah it just the conversation i always start with the director and then it tendrils out with more information to to get the end result and what about time because sometimes with something like that is it literally sometimes you might get the call on the Monday and start on the Wednesday? I mean, is it, can it be quite quick? I mean, sometimes you will have more time than that, but sometimes is it, is it quite sometimes? Although although COVID days now, obviously we testing and everything else that's required. You do need more time for obvious reasons, but it can be quite quickly if a scene's been thrown in that wasn't. So it can be very quick. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And then you've got lots of different things in consideration of, if it is actors, um, you know, what, what is possible from those actors, which opens up a whole host of questions. I've learned through the years that, we, you know, there's a lot of guff talk about people doing their own stunts and stuff, but I've learned through the years that my stunt coordinator is someone I really trust and look at and they will know, you know, they will get to know me. They will see physically what I can do, what I'm up for. But they also know that I have another three months of filming to do so they can step into that safety breach and say, well, I know you think you can do that, but just to be on the safe side, you, there's yeah. no reason for you to need to do that. You know, this is a yeah. wide shot or on the back of your head or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But, um, so you've got to be careful of your own machismo sometimes, whether you're male or female, that you you sort of want to do it, but there's no shame in saying for the coordinator to come in and say, it's okay. You know, do you ever get actors sort oh, of it's sort of having a bit it. of pride all the time? Absolutely. We get it all the time, and especially the younger artists who are coming into it who want to do their own things. And and a lot of the time, it's not that they can't do it, although bearing in mind, as you know, you'll do a sequence and a scene and you won't do it once. You do it from multiple angles, multiple times. There's a technical problem with the camera. Things haven't haven't worked. So even though it seems that you do, you, you know, you, you never do it once. The biggest stuff, maybe, which definitely wouldn't be um, an artist, but... You do it many, many times and it's so easy to tweak a neck, to tweak a muscle, to mm. twist an ankle, to I was on a job the other day. We had a double for the actor, but 
the um, the actor just had to, had to run out and was chased. So it was the part. It was part of a chase sequence, and he caught the grip of his trainer, tumbled over, and um, you know we thought he dislocated and uh, his shoulder. He'd done something significant to his mm-hmm. shoulder, and he, he had to go home. So you know things that even that you think aren't stunts can have consequences and you know yeah it's easy to tweak and pull a muscle so which is why we recommend that but we do we do do things with artists as you as you know with with actors um just depends what it is and how physically able the actor is whose call is it on on any given day to say yes you can do this it's usually um i've never had an instance where um an actor is saying, I want to do it and will override the decision that we've come to. Um, overall, I feel it's my responsibility to say this can't happen. And usually the producer and the first and the director will agree because we're all seeing the same thing. And it's usually the enthusiasm of quite often a younger actor who would like to do it and it's usually cleared up and it's it's a given that they, they won't do it or it has been agreed that they can do it and we work around it so that it's safe to do so warm-ups and i've lost all my enthusiasm since i went over 50 don't worry about it but, <laughs> <laughs> but also it's to do with experience isn't it i mean you know for me as a younger actor it was true i wanted to do all those things but it was it would only take like you said before one tumble and a crack of a knee and you think Actually, I don't need to do this. And also my responsibility is for the next three or four months. It's not just for yeah. today. Yeah, for me, the really important thing is to, if the artist, the actor is doing um, some physical action, they know exactly what they're doing and they feel comfortable to do it. And yeah, all the other things that go with it, you know, making sure the body's okay. And what about something like the story of a stunt? I mean, you know, let's take something like a fight. Now, all fights are different. They have a different character. You, As an actor, you can express your character inside of something like a, like a fight or, or whatever. So if the actor is coming to you and saying, okay, this is what my, my character is doing. He feels very macho going in, but he actually loses his bottle halfway through. So I want that to be reflected in some way. Mm. Or I, I think he wins this fight via a lucky punch rather than sort of any John Wayne sort of nonsense. Mm. Are you able to... In- incorporate that sort of story into the into the fight my job i feel is to listen to those notes and provide the physical action that goes with that story so it's as simple as that for me what could an actor you know for you in your job what's should an actor bring to you i mean we very rarely get rehearsal these days we're we're quite doing it on the hoof you know when we get there and stuff so what 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 is your major requirement from an actor when you're negotiating let's just stay with fights because obviously uh, Mm. car chases and things like that are very different but yeah what's your main requirement for an actor to bring to you on the set for for a day where you're doing a fight I think just to be open to talk it through, to be um, to be wanting to do it in the first place. Um, That's a big one. Though. Well, it is really. It's a big one to want to be doing it in the first because there's there's, there's there's a lot of times when you get to a, a situation and you think, I don't want to do this, and you might be you might be frightened or you might be carrying an injury that you don't want anybody to know or whatever those things. It's it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because yeah, it's yeah. like and also you- just be, and some people are a bit 
too full on with it. You know, it's all pretend. <laughs> it is all make believe. And you know, I'm sure you're laughing maybe because you've seen it. And oh, I've certainly gosh, seen it. I've, where... been, I've been on set with actors <laughs> where I've said, "Calm down, mate. Come on." You know what I mean? But that's another thing that we offer. You see, it's how do you make that look aggressive in a non-aggressive way? And there are loads of cheats, of course. Do you ever get rehearsal? I mean, do I mean you might get rehearsal with the stunt guys to re- to rehearse a fight or something? But how much rehearsal with the actual actors do you get? It, it does depend. We did something not that long ago where we had a couple of hours uh, on the previous day. It depends on the schedule of the actors and it, it really does depend. It, it's getting less and less that we do get rehearsals as long as I think you've said, listen, if you want this to look any good, we've got right. to have some time. So it's, it's just a negotiation really, depending on how big the sequence is. So how did you become a stunt woman? I mean, how, where, where was that born from? So as you can imagine, we all really come from a sporty background. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a little bit lost at the time, I have to say. So I did the school and then I went to college for a little bit and then I got a job, um, but never really with any long-term direction at that point. Then I did some traveling, went to Australia for a while and then went to Hong Kong and I played rugby out there for the ladies team. Mm -hmm. And and I was from a competitive swimming background, really. So I was always kind of sporty, really. Well, I was. And then I went out of the country for a couple of years and whilst I was playing the rugby out in Hong Kong, I and I was just doing jobs really just to get money. And it was there that I first heard about it as a job because it wasn't in the, the realm it is today. You didn't know about it. No one in my family did it. It was nothing like that. So, but I heard about it from somebody who, was, who had done it in Australia to, and it just got into my head. And it was funny, really. I knew instantly that's what I was going to do. What, the moment it was, it was, the moment it was mentioned? Yeah. Wow. The moment, well, yeah, the moment I'd heard about it, it was like, that's what I'm going to do. And then after coming back from being away for a couple of years, and I was, like I say, I was still into sports when I was away, I treated it like going back to uni. So you come back and you, you get all your courses under your belt. It's quite significant what you need. It takes a number of years. Tell me what that is, though. What? So just very, no, not yeah. briefly, but you know, just so to, give us a sketch yeah. of that. Yeah. So to get onto the British Stunt Register, you need six or more qualifications, which are up to fairly high levels, like instructor level almost. So, um, and they're generally in categories of um, spatial awareness, agility, uh, fighting. So I had uh, judo was one of my backgrounds. So you get that up to black belt. Um, Swimming. Um, obviously it was competitive swim. It was an easy one to get. You have to do certain lengths and certain times and, mm-hmm. and all of this. So for someone who doesn't swim, it would be difficult. If you can swim, still challenging, but easy enough. Uh, gymnastics, I took trampolining, obviously spatial awareness in those two. Professional scuba. So I went up to HSC part four, which is what you train as if you're going onto the rigs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then driving, that came to me slightly later. I've, did, I've done a lot of driving on the on the stunt register and had that as a specialty as well. And that came in the form of auto testing. But I'd already got my qualifications to get on the register. Yeah. And I used to have a job where the job used to give me a hire car right. to go to different places. And I used to use the hire car to yeah. practice some manoeuvres. <laughs> and... But anyway, then when I heard about auto testing, um, that's where you do like a dance with the car and precision. It's like, I always describe it as a dance with the car. So you've got cones and you've got marks and you have to get around the course memorizing it know, as yeah. quickly as you can using first and reverse. So it's like a dance. And mm-hmm. so it's wonderful in terms of, you know, throwing a car around, which is yeah. what we do when we turn up to hit a mark. That's how you get onto the British Stunt Register. And then you get your equity card and, and then you join. And that's when the you know, that's when you learn about the job 
mm. really is. So you, well, you, you learn about the job on the job, basically. Well, you talk about swimming, but what's your, you know, I mean, all stunt people have a speciality that they do. Is yours is yours water and cars? Is that what you, you I think cars, really. And I do love a fight sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like fights. Uh, mine is not, mine's a judo background, so that it's not kicky, leg in the air, you know, but windmills and all, all those, that's not my thing at all. But bringing a, a, a fight to life, I, I love that. Um, and cars, again, you know, done lots of car things over the years, still do. Um, yeah, yeah. Because that's the other thing, isn't it, I think? Because sometimes, something like the work that we did together, Sherwood, you want it to look real. It has to look real. Whereas something like a Bond film, it's not about it being real. It's about it being spectacular Big. and ballet, yeah. balletic <laughs> and all that. So there's a different, there's different ways of doing the same thing, really, isn't there? I mean, have you ever done those big balletic sort of massive shows as well? Yeah. So, well, for the driving, I, I did driving stuff on Bond. Um, right. I did a crash, nice big crash, and then the the, the the baddies fall down. So it was it was a big number, really. So anybody, if someone listening to this is thinking that it might be a profession from them, yeah. I mean, where would they go? What advice would you give them about how to get on that ladder, how to get... You know, obviously you need to be physically fit, but um, I mean, where would they go to become a stunt? Yeah. Well, the first thing to do would to be um, would be to Google the British Stunt Register and, and everything is is listed there. Um, you know, the qualifications that you can um, go for uh, and then literally you just go off and you start getting them and you take them off. I think it would but are you be paying advisable. for that, but you, that, that would be a yeah. self-financed journey. You would Absolutely. Be self-financed. Yeah. There are courses that you can do now to go on. Um, um, Andreas Petridis does a course where you can go and trial out what it is and think it's for two or three days where you can try and see if it's, um, you know, you get to do various gags and you might get to do jerk backs and a, a fall onto an airbag and other things. He also does a fight course, which is brilliant really for piecing to showing you how, and it's six levels, um, show you can teach you how to fight on set. Again, is it your kind of cup of tea? Do you like that? You'll always get asked to do fights if you're on, on the stunt register. Then when you know what the skills are you're going to go for, I think you register them with the, uh, the British stunt register so that when you get one, you can then freeze it so that in case they change that qualification, it's it's frozen it, it to that level at that time, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah, okay. And we yeah. do need people. You know, some of the happiest times I've had on film sets have been with some people because they just get it. And I mean, I mean, it yeah. is a sort of uh, like actors, you know, it's sort of always having a backpack in the whole sort of lifestyle, <laughs> isn't it? But I mean, you know, it is it is a wonderful, rewarding time as well. Yeah, uh, would you give is. any? Do you have any advice? If you think that you have got, um, you know, the, like the stamina and the dedication that's required to go out and get the qualifications in the first place, then I invite anybody to come onto the British Stunt Register. It's hard work and it's real dedication, I think, to get everything you need. And I wish everybody luck and good fortune that does that because anybody, anybody that gets onto the Stunt Register. I admire really because it's it's not easy, um, and and then it's a wonderful world I think out there. And everyone on the stunt register, they're like little seedlings to me. Everyone has their own journey through, 
you know, whether it be film, telly, bit of both, mine was a bit of both. And it's it's just the people that you meet and the professionals that you work with, it's fab, absolutely fab. And um, so, yeah, I recommend anybody who thinks it could be their cup of tea to look into right. it. Right. And I would say for actors that, you know, your stunt coordinator is your friend. They are there to listen and they, you know, great stunt coordinators do listen. You can tell your story. And, you know, it's not, for me as a younger actor, I was a bit more sort of in your face as far as stunt coordinators were concerned. But I've learned sometimes to my cost that, you know, that's never going to help anybody. And I think it's about being collaborative. It's a real collaborative place to work. It and is I, a collaborative thing, yes. Yeah. Good stuff. Hey, thanks for joining us today and uh, giving your insights. I think it's really valuable for anybody who's thinking of either acting or stunt work, actually. So cheers. Thanks a lot. Who Am I This Time is a Just Voices and Doolally production. Produced by Simon Lennigan. Music by Greg Hatlock. Edited and mixed by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. And presented by me, David Morrissey. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.